He can make you to be sendable just like Christ. I'll tell you, there's no nation on the face of the earth like the United States that needs to have sendable Christians today. Once a Christian nation today, we're getting as far away from God as most every other nation on the earth. And I believe it with all my heart, time is short. God is going to judge this nation. I think a supernatural judgment is going to come on this nation like never before because we have left light. We have turned from light to darkness. We have turned from the word of God to humanism philosophy, humanistic philosophy. We've turned away from that which is right and that which is absolute to where nothing is absolute anymore. There are no absolutes anymore. Everything is relative. Absolutely relative. And you try to tell somebody that there's a wrong or a right, they'll laugh in your face if they've gone to a philosophy class or psychology class today. But you know, the, inter- the, the terrible thing is that God says in that last day he'll laugh at them and he'll have them in derision. But he wants us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I want you to notice in Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter with me. Ezekiel chapter 22. God was prophesying Israel's destruction because the land had become corrupted. They had not observed the Sabbath. There had been many people that had been murdered in the land and the blood was crying out and God said the land was polluted. The priests had become corrupt. The people had become corrupted. They were no longer longer serving the Lord as they ought to. They were giving wounded and crippled sacrifices. And, And God was crying out for an answer in the land of Israel. In Ezekiel 22nd chapter and verse verses 30 and 31. This is God speaking now. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And here's one of the most pathetic phrases in God's word. But I found none. God says, I went from Dan to Beersheba, from the north end to the south end of this country. He said, I sought out just one man that would stand in the gap for this land, that would cry out to me that God would heal the land, that God would forgive the land. And he said, I couldn't find one. This is what's on my heart when I say that God, I know God has called more people in this body to prayer for Sunday morning and Sunday night. I know that God wants more of his people to cry out for this body and for this community and for this area, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I know there are souls going to hell all around this church. And God says, I'm seeking for someone that will stand in the gap and cry out. And I want you to see what happened because he couldn't find any. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord God. God said to Abraham, as I spoke this morning, God said to Abraham, if I can just find ten righteous people in the land, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, ten. Started, Abraham said, no, first of all, Abraham said, how about fifty? Uh, and he said, okay, fifty. He said, how about forty? How about thirty? How about twenty? And God finally got down, how about ten? The angel Lord said, okay, if we can find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, then I will save those cities. I found none. I sought for a man among them that would stand and make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God said in Isaiah, who will go for me? Who will I send? And Isaiah said, here my Lord, send me. And God sent him. He only found one man. The question is, who's God going to send today? I don't want to stand in that day before God and have have people point at me and say, why didn't you tell me? My whole family has gone to hell because you refused to tell me about Jesus. 
usable vessels? These things will never happen until, first of all, we go back to step one. We've got to be willing to die to ourselves and our desires and our future and our jobs and our uh, interests and our relationships. And say, Lord, first and foremost, I want to be a vessel used of you. Send me exactly where you want me to go. And then believe God to use you. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. You don't have to do this. You know that. I told you this morning that God is a gentleman. He will not force you to do anything. I'm only talking to those who have a hunger to be usable vessels. God didn't say, I went out and snatched me a bunch of guys and said, you either pray or I'm going to destroy you. He said, I sought for someone who had enough of a burden for lost people that they would stand in the gap and I couldn't find any. He didn't make them be that. He just found no one was willing. And he said, if I could just find one man that's willing... I would turn this whole thing around and I could send revival to this land, but I couldn't find one. So therefore, I judged that nation. I want men and women to begin to cry out to God. Lord, use me. Send me. Make me to be used for your glory. That's why I'm here. That's the second point. Expendable and sendable. Second Timothy chapter 2. We have been talking about usable vessels. Usable vessels. I'm going to try not to preach too long tonight, but I've got a burden on my heart, and I pray with me that the Lord will help me get it out. It's amazing to me how God has been centering in on one certain thrust. It's almost like his needle is stuck in a in a one groove in the record. He's saying, this is the next thing, this is the next thing, this is the next step, this is the next step, this is the next step. And it was interesting when Carol just wrote this last letter this past week. He said that God is coming forth with a new message to the body, and that new message that is being declared there in the school is holiness. Holiness. I thought, now where'd they ever pick that up from? And I want to tell you something, if we don't get in line with that message that God is bringing to the body right now, he's going to go on and find someone else. And I, I, I just want you to know, I'm not talking about just corporate body, I'm talking about as individuals. God's saying, hey, I, I've got something for you, and I want you to have it, but here's the requirement, and then you'll have it. No one will take it away from you. Paul talks about it here in the second chapter of Second Timothy, beginning with the 19th verse. And he's talking about the foundation of God. When we talk about the foundation, we're talking about that which supports everything else. And if you don't have this foundation, it's not going to stand. Recently I had someone say to me, you know, I'd like to just take these, the, the, the roof off of the house here and just go up one more story. And I said, no, no, you can't do that. They said, why can't I do that? I said, because this foundation more than likely was built for one story. Well, what's the difference if we put one more story on it? Big difference. Every house is supposed to be built a certain way, and if you need one floor, it's got one foundation, two floors, another foundation, you wouldn't be something to put, try to build the Empire State Building out of one of our homes? This wouldn't work. And Paul here is saying, I want to talk to you about the foundation. It depends on what you want to build. The foundation is going to determine what you build. I've got to say that to you again. The foundation is going to determine what you and I are going to be able to build, or what God is going to be able to build on us, or in us. Or through us. Well, he says here in the 19th verse, Nevertheless, the foundation of God 
standeth sure, having this seal, or assurance here, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is a foundational truth. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to, dis, um, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared or equipped unto every good work. Now, we talked about this the other night, that uh, the other day, that we have to, first of all, purge ourselves. We have to purge ourselves. Chuck, you said a few moments ago about the fact that God will have a lot of things for us if, if we do thus and such. And this is exactly what God's Word says over and over again. First of all, we said that to be a usable vessel, we have to be what? Expendable. Point number one, expendable. That means... The Word of God says that we have come to the place where we say, I die to myself and my desires and my ambitions and my goals of the future. I will simply wait upon the direction of the Holy Spirit to show me exactly what to do. Now, by the way, let me tell you something. A dead person doesn't get tense and nervous. A dead person does not worry. A dead person is not allured by the riches of this world. I have seen a lot of people in caskets and I've never seen one of them look at my clothes or my nice suit and tie and say, boy, I wish I had that. has no effect on them whatsoever. And this is exactly what the Word of God said, if ye then be dead with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because if you'll do that first, and you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, abundantly above and beyond anything you can ask or think. We always seem to want to put the cart before the horse. And say, when I can get all these other things taken care of, then I'm going to put myself to seeking the Lord. I'm going to say, you know what? The devil's going to see to it that you and I never get those things done. He's going to see to it that for the rest of us, I've had people time and time again now to use my ministry. Well, if I can just get there, if I can just get there, and before long I said, wait a minute, before it was this, and now it's this. If you get that done. I said, the devil's chasing you. He's got to keep chasing your tail. Just die out to those other things and say, Lord, I really want to know what your will is. Now, let me just say that it may end up being for the same thing. God may still have you doing the same thing, but your motivations and your goals will change. You may be doing the same thing, but with a different motivation. I used to sing, and I was going to sing in Dick Mongo's orchestra, Georgia Hormel Jr., the third. When I became 18, he wanted me to go to California and sing in his orchestra, so I started singing in learning as many songs as I could, thinking about that goal when I got out there. Well, in the meantime, I found Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and at that time I said, Lord, I give any talent that I have musically to you, and I ask you not to let me waste it or use it on anything that's temporal, but only on those things which are eternal. I didn't quit singing, but my motivation for singing was totally different. Before, I was thinking, boy, if I can get in that orchestra and get well-known and make a record and da-da-da-da-da-da, all these things, boy, it'll be wonderful. After I got saved, I couldn't have cared less about those things. I wanted Jesus Christ to be exalted by singing the testimony that he had given me in my life. See, so I'm simply saying that when you die to yourself, it doesn't mean that God's going to squish you like a bug and say, there, I sure took care of that guy. It actually means that's when we begin to live. Because when we die to ourselves, Christ's life comes up in us and we begin to live a life that is motivated and directed by the Holy Spirit. That's when we begin to live. So being expendable means coming to the awareness and losing the stigmatism of time and seeing the truth of life and its meaning in the light of eternity. Dying out to self, coming alive. Secondly, 
second step of becoming a usable vessel is what? Being spendable. God says, I sought for a man. I sought for a man. And said, who will go for me? And I want you to know, today, God is still speaking for men and women and young people who will say, Lord, here am I, send me. Send me in the steps of everyday life. Send me as your ambassador, as your light, as your witness, as one who declares your goodness in their life. And Lord, you bring into my pathway those that I can witness to. Now then, the third thing is, a usable Christian is bendable. Now you say, why do you always use these things that either rhyme or have the same letters? They're just like little hooks. If you can hang a thought on a, on a word or a first letter, many times you'll remember it better. I don't know where I ever thought about that, but I remember the first message I've told you about before that I ever preached was the three G's for God's chosen man, gift, grace, and gumption. My wife has never forgotten. And so I only many times do this because I feel that you can hang a thought on that and it'll come back to you more often. A usable vessel is a bendable or a pliable or a moldable vessel. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Jeremiah, as you'll remember, was the, the one that I told you was told ahead of time. They're not going to listen to you, but go ahead and preach it anyway. And he did. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. I guess it'd be something to weep about if he went around and every place he went, people's faces were like stone and you never saw any fruits and never saw any change. But Jeremiah was faithful to the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 18. Now I want you to notice something. You won't hear many messages on this chapter today. I understand that years ago there were a lot of messages on this chapter, but we have come into an age where uh, we like to hear the niceties of the gospel and not the severity of the gospel. And chapter 18 and 19 declares the severity of the gospel that God has to declare to mankind. Listen to it here beginning in the 18th chapter. God was sending Jeremiah... To Bible school, if you please. He was giving him a, a message, illustration for his sermon. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my word. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Now, this is the first illustration that God gave to Jeremiah and it was concerning the nation of Israel, and it was for Jeremiah's benefit. He said, now, Jeremiah, I want you to see what the nation of Israel is like in my hand. He went on to the 19th chapter and had Jeremiah bring another illustration into being, but this one was going to be for the nation of Israel and for the leaders of Israel. Look at the first verse there of the chapter 19. Thus saith the Lord God, go and get a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth under the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. And then look over in verse 11, after he finishes his message, Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city, as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet, till there be no place to bury 
powerful illustration. He said, I want you to go to this nation and take this pot, clay pot, and cast it down and let it be shredded, just broken into millions of pieces, and just say, that's what God's going to have to do to you. Simple things we want to look at here. It's not a profound illustration, but there are some very simple truths that I, I want to bring up. If we're going to be usable vessels, we have to be pliable or bendable in God's sight. The first thing is, I want you to notice by these two illustrations the principle that's involved. When you look at these two things, God was saying to Jeremiah, you see that soft clay, pliable clay? That clay represents Israel. The potter represents me. I can take the clay and I put the clay on the wheel. I decide what happens to that clay. And as I begin to do it, if I don't like the way it's forming or if it starts giving me a hard time, I'll take it again and I'll slam it down and I'll beat on it again and I'll pound it and I'll reshape it again and I'll slap it back on the wheel and start all over again. The principle that's involved here in that chapter and over in 19 where he says you can take the, the pot and shred it on the hill so I just shatter it, God is saying I am absolutely sovereign. Now you know there's some people today that don't understand the principle or the message of the sovereignty of God. If I were to stop with that one principle, that one truth, it would bring fear and discouragement in many hearts. But I want you to know and to understand that God, whether we like it or not, is absolutely, unequivocally sovereign over everything. And until we understand that, we will not understand God's purpose and plan for our life. We have no choice in the matter. God is sovereign whether we like it or not. And he requires our absolutely unquestioning submission to him and his unlimited power. I can take you over in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament where Paul says there's just no way. God is absolutely... Don't say to the potter, why do you do it this way? God is absolutely sovereign. There's no way around it. You see, when God says that, that the nation of Israel, and we can apply it to our own personal lives, when he says that we are a piece of clay... Let me first of all tell you that a clay, first of all, has no wish and no power within itself to realize the potential that's resident within it. Let me say that again. A piece of clay has no power or wish to realize the potential that's in it. If I take a ball of clay and sit it here and say, clay, act like clay. Come on, act like clay. Well, do anything. I can't even say to it, act like a vase. Act like a beautiful porcelain dish. Clay dish. Act like a nice pottery cup. It can't even comprehend its potential. It's just clay. God says, I'm the potter. God says, you're the clay. You see, God knows what he wants to do with that clay. And you and I haven't the least idea what he wants to do with it. You say, well, now, wait a minute, Brother Webb, I am not a blob of clay. I've got a will. That's just exactly the thing that God's trying to say to us here. He's saying, I'm the potter, you are the clay, if you'll let me be the potter, and if you'll be the clay. Because I have unlimited potential potentialities for you if you'll just let me do the forming in your life. You see? First of all, he says, recognize something. I am the potter, whether you like it or not. I am the potter. And there are unlimited possibilities for you. Now, you see, we see that, that 
That's the first. Now we've talked about the potter and the clay, and the next thing is the wheel. Now in most of these things, in fact, when we were up in uh, North Carolina this last time, we went. Oh, we went to an exciting place up there, Echo Village. And, and one thing that I had, in fact, I didn't even know what it was for a while. I, I just saw a seat, and anytime I'm walking and shopping with my wife, whenever there's a seat, I claim that seat. But what was interesting about this seat, I could sit on the seat, and down here, there's a great big heavy wheel. And of course, you know me, I just got it to rolling, and I thought, boy, this is really fun. And finally, somebody came by and said, look at that potter's wheel. Oh, that's what this is, a potter's wheel. Isn't that interesting? You know, that potter's wheel can't do anything except it be forced or pushed by the potter. As long as I kept kicking that wheel, it'd do anything I wanted to do, faster or slower, stronger or lighter. I could do whatever I wanted to with it. May I just suggest something to you that the potter's wheel that God uses on you and me today are the circumstances of life. Seven days a week, he doesn't take you and put you on a wheel and spin you. He sets you out into the everyday experiences of life and says, that's my potter's wheel. Now will the clay let me mold it? You see, there's no effect on the clay apart from the potter's pressure. Unless the potter spins that wheel and begins to put his hand to it and begins to push the harder on the wheel and applies that pressure against his own hand, there is no change, there's no movement, there's no forming, there's no effect on the clay whatsoever. It just simply presses, the wheel presses the clay into the potter's hand. And the faster he wants it to go and the harder he wants it to go, he does it himself and it just causes him to be able to work more completely on that piece of clay. Now some people say, I just don't understand why God's doing things the way he is. He's trying to mold you and me to be the best he wants us to be. Well, this isn't the way to do it. Who are you? Shut up, clay. Just bend. Just be pliable. I'm the potter. And you're the clay. And sometimes he puts us on a fast wheel and a hard wheel. And when he does it, we begin to say, you know, Lord, I really would rather do this. And we have to choose to cooperate with God. And we won't cooperate unless we finally come to that final conclusion that he is the potter. He is sovereign. He does know potentiality for us that we can't even comprehend yet. Never entered into our minds. Had anyone told me 32 years ago, that I would be where I am today, doing what I'm doing today, living where I'm living today, having a family like I have today. In my wildest dreams, I could not have perceived it. God has been good to me. And I want to tell you something. There have been lots of pressures from the wheel on my life down through the years. And there have been times when the old flesh has screamed, but I want to tell you something. Every time it's screamed and I've been able to say, God, it doesn't make any difference, knock it off. Do whatever you have to do. I don't care what the cost. How can I lose anything if I don't own anything? How can I lose my reputation if I supposedly lost it back there in Calvary? If I hold on to something, I'm going to lose it. If I let it go and it comes back to me, it's mine. You've given it to me then. But if I try to hold on to it, then I lose my grip on the potter. And I begin to try to make my own wishes come true. We can choose what the results are going to be. Look back there in chapter 18 again. This is amazing. Verses 7 through 10. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if, underline that if, if that nation against whom I have pronounced 
turn from their evil, I will what? God is speaking. I will repent. If I come to a nation, if I come to Nineveh and say, Nineveh, in 30 days, God, my judgment's going to fall on you, Jonah, go tell them. Jonah went and said, 30 days from now, if you don't repent, God's going to judge you. And Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes on the people and all the animals. The word of God says that God repented. Here Jonah went up on the hill and he began to get mad at God. What kind of a fool are you making me out to be here? You told me to come down here and tell this bunch of heathen, hypocritical sinners down here that in 30 days you're really going to square off at them. And now look, 30 days have passed and I look like an idiot. Read it for yourself. Look at Jonah. That's exactly what happened. Well, what happened? God said he was going to judge that nation, but they repented. And he said, if I say I'm going to do thus and such, and they repent, I'll repent. And then I'll repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. There's another if. Now let me show you something. The Spirit of God comes here with a brother Hammond with a special gift of personal prophecy. And he'll lay hands on someone and say, Thus saith the Lord, this and this and this and this is going to happen. You'll lead out in this particular part of worship, or, or you'll be successful in business, or you'll look it over very closely, and somewhere along the line it's going to say, If yes, there's going to be this condition that you do what God tells you to do. I'll tell you something right now. God will make no one, God will make no one really successful in his sight who's disobedient to him. Now, let me tell you something. When God says that to us, he's saying to it to, it, to us knowing all the pressures that the potter's wheel is going to put on us in the days ahead. Your potential is that you can be thus and such for me in the kingdom of God. I set that out there for you to encourage you. Now, if you want that badly enough, and if you'll be obedient to me, it's yours and nobody will take it away from you. But counterclockwise, if you don't, be obedient to me, I can't bless sin. You know, God's given a lot of promises to me, and Jeff and I just this week were sitting down again, I was reading some of the things that God said was going to take place in our lives and in the church and, and concerning the property and concerning our property and concerning finances and everything. And I, Jeff and I were just talking about this very thing. You know, these things are all conditional. They're conditional on whether we'll say to the potter, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Move me, move me, ply me, bend me, do whatever you have to do, but oh God, don't let me lose your promises for my life. That's why the word of God says, if ye hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be what? Did you ever notice that little two-letter word at the beginning? If. You hunger and thirst. Let's just reverse it and make it just as scriptural. If you don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will remain empty. Draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. Is it just as scriptural to say, if you refuse to draw nigh to me, I will refuse to draw nigh to you? You see? And God always puts the initiative on us. You hunger and thirst. You draw nigh. You submit. You yield your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. You let the potter shake you. Let go of all those things and say, it's yours, Lord, I'm yours. The 
principle is that he's sovereign. So whether we like it or not, the word of God says in that day, I've seen some people, like I told you, have just reared up at me, and every time they see me, they're just belligerent, and I've gone to the funeral, looking the casket, and I, I just think, well, you won. What did you win? But you won. But they didn't really win because the word of God says, in spite of the fact they didn't do it here, in that day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's sovereign. He's God. That's the principle we have to understand in this particular illustration that's given by God to Jeremiah. The second thing I want you to think about is the purpose. The purpose of this illustration. The purpose of this illustration shows us that God has a purpose for us. He had one for the nation of Israel. He has one for us. Look at there in the third verse. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. It didn't say he was amusing himself on the wheel. It didn't say he was, you know, getting rid of his frustrations on the wheel. He was fulfilling his, his joy and his hobby on the wheel. It said he was accomplishing a work. It was serious business with the potter. He was earnestly working and developing that piece of clay on that wheel with a full intention and purpose in mind. He knew exactly what he wanted to make with that particular base or that particular dish, that piece of clay that he was working with. God is not out there just trying to make you and me miserable. He's not out there trying to just see how many times he can get you to the end of yourself where you're beating your head against the wall. He said, if you, could, you can't even perceive it because you're just clay, but I have the most beautiful idea and thought in mind for you if you'll let me mold you the way I want to mold you. Well, God, I'd sure like a handle right here, and I'd like to see a spout over here. Forget that. Take me, Lord. Here, just do it. Whatever you want to do. Now, that's what I've been waiting to hear. Now, I've got something a lot better than a teapot in mind for you. He has a work. The Word of God says that every one of us are called unto good works, called to a ministry, called to a purpose. God is just is not just sitting there playing games with you and me when he calls us. He has an eternal purpose for us, an eternal job for us to do, not just for time, but for eternity. And to yield to him and his understanding and his all-knowing wisdom and his sovereignty is gain for us. I have never in my life ever heard anyone who has totally given their lives to God say, boy, I really blew it. I would to God I could go back and do it over now my way. But I've lived long enough to have many people say, Pastor, I'd only listen to God and preachers and everybody else back there. If I'd have just done what you told me to do. You see, to follow the Lord and to yield to the Lord as his clay. He's the potter and we're the clay. And he has us on the wheel of the circumstances of life every day. To yield, and when, when things come against us, when people come against us, and when pressures come against us, and when finances come against us, to be give in. Just say, Lord, okay, what, what are you trying to show me in this? Just, I'll move whatever way you want me to move. You did say in your word you give my feet room to maneuver, and I thank you for that ahead of time. I don't see it right now, but you said you'll never put more on me than I can bear, and that you'll make a way of escape so that I can bear it. Lord, I just thank you for that way of escape right now. I don't see it, but it's there. I know it'll be there when it needs to be there, and you won't put me down further than I can stand it. Now, I don't know this much about pottery, but I have been told that depending on the type of pottery and depending upon the finished product, that they have to have the ovens at different temperatures for different types of pottery. And I just don't believe God's going to put you in any hotter of an oven than he has to put you into a finished product 
But I've always found through the Word of God, He always chose, chose His best servants, His strongest servants, to be thrown in the furnace seven times hotter, and in the lion's den, and into prison. They had to pay a dear price. Every single servant of God I have read about in the Word of God, somewhere along the line, they had to pay a dear price to prove and to show God that they were willing to be anything He wanted to be. And they always won. Now I want you to know something, that when we yield to God, that it's also a game for God. What do you mean it's a game for God? Well, the Word of God says in Ephesians that in the days ahead, in eternity, that it's going to be the church that's going to show the manifold wisdom of God. All the angels and all the hosts of heaven are going to look upon the church. And through the church, through us, they're going to see the manifold wisdom of God. Paul says in Romans 12 too, that ye may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Give yourselves like a chunk of clay, totally yielded to the Lord. Yield your body completely to him. If you can prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. When people look at a totally committed Christian, they'll say, there's something about that person that I can't get away from. And they see your good works and it glorifies our Father which is in heaven. Now, see, if I just stop to the fact that God is sovereign whether you like it or not, he's going to win in the end. That can cause frustration and discouragement and despondency. But when you recognize that the sovereign God has a beautiful plan and program for every one of our lives, and he isn't just playing games with us, he wants to mold us the way he wants to mold us because it's best. And that's the third thing you have to look at, and that is the potter himself. Take a look at that. And you see, we look at the principle, which is the sovereignty of God, the purpose that God has the highest and best use for us if we'll let him do it. The third thing is to look at the potter. If a potter's way of life is harsh, you can usually see the nature of the potter in the pottery that he produces. Now, I can't do it, but I, I know that when we used to have a potter in the church some years ago, you could show him a piece of pottery, and if there's anybody around the area, he could tell you just by looking at it who's, whose work it was. And usually, if you wanted to find out if it was his work, he could make something humongous because he was a big boy. And a lot of the, you know, more dainty potters couldn't make very big pieces of pottery. They'd make little dainty pieces of pottery, but I mean, he could make great big pieces of pottery because he was a great big guy. Well, if you want to take a look at the potter that we're talking about, the Word of God says his thoughts toward you are continually good. The Word of God says that he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. His hands are scarred as he works with us because of his love for us, that's how he redeemed us. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort to know that he loved me so much that he had his son die on the cross for our sins. And to know that he did it because he has that purpose for our lives. He wants us to be pliable. He wants us to be bendable. Romans, the ninth chapter, verse 20 and 21. Oh, most of the ninth chapter there, God is talking about the sovereignty. Paul is talking about the sovereignty of God. Verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he hath, he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power or right over the clay, 
of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I think something that really stunned me, which is a, a tremendous illustration of this very thing that we've been talking about, is found over in Matthew, the 27th chapter. This comes after Jesus had been tried. It was before Caiaphas. Well, first of all, I should say it was after the upper room experience where the disciples met with Jesus to have the Last Supper. And then Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, but Judas had left early and had gone out and had sold Jesus and betrayed him to the leaders of the Jews. And after he had done so and realized what he had done, the word of God says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, by the way, that repenting there does not mean a godly sorrow. It does not mean repenting like Peter repented. It means that he realized that he had gone too far and had made a mistake there. He had misappropriated or misjudged his action there. It does not mean biblical scriptural repentance. Had it meant that, there could have been forgiveness. But the word of God says that he was the son of perdition. Jesus said, all that you gave me, Father, I have kept, save one, which is the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And certain chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Do you know what the potter's field is? The potter's field was the... In, in fact, even today, if you'll go somewhere, somewhere where somebody's a potter, they'll say, that's the potter's house. Wherever he has his wheel, that's the potter's house. The potter's field is the field or yard, or yard outside of the potter's house where the wreckage of his work was cast. When he put a piece of clay on the wheel and it, it wouldn't do what he wanted it to do and he'd take it off and beat it and try to make it pliable again and put it on and it wouldn't work again, after a while, he'd just say, that's just bad clay, and he'd take it out and he'd throw it out in the potter's field. Or if he'd find a marred vessel, or a vessel that wasn't exactly what he wanted, he would take it out and he'd cast it into what was known as a potter's field. It was an old clay field where all the pottery stuff was broken. When I read that, I thought about what Paul said. He said, you know, I fear lest after having preached this gospel, I become a castaway. I get thrown into the potter's field. I thought about what God says, he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck becomes unpliable becomes unpliable, unflexible. They'll suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy, out to the potter's field. Judas became unpliable. Judas did not fulfill the purpose that God had. And you see, now let me tell you something. Judas had did the same miracles, heard the same messages, traveled and ate with the Lord just like the other 11 disciples, went through all the religious experiences of all the rest of them, but he went out and hanged himself. He was a vessel that was cast out into the potter's field. Unusable. God says, you know, there are vessels under honor and vessels under dishonor. There are vessels that 
Once we use them and they're used for a while and they become useless, you throw them away. They're just no value to them. Then there's nothing to honor that you keep them just because of their intrinsic value. God's Word says you and I choose the kind of vessel we're going to be for the Lord by being bendable, by being pliable, being flexible in the hand of the potter. So that all week long we will declare, first of all, the sovereignty of God in our life. Second, we will try to determine every moment of every day the purpose of the potter in our life. Thirdly, we will continuously remember that his purpose is based upon his nature. And the nature of God is God is love. His thoughts toward us are continually good. And because of that, we can trust him. Trust him based upon the word of God. He has promised. He's given us a covenant agreement. He which hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. He said, I am looking for the clay that will simply become pliable in my hands and on the wheel of everyday experiences and the experiences of life will simply yield to what the Word of God says. That vessel will become a vessel under honor for me. This past week, on the wheel, the potter's wheel, did something come against you that made you bitter or resentful toward the potter? Or begin to get a little bit disgusted with the circumstances of life, thinking that the potter made a mistake, you need a, a handle there or a stem there or something else there? Did the potter begin to touch a certain area of your being that you said, no, I don't want that part to be changed. You leave that alone. And once you say that, it seems like every time you turn around on the wheel of circumstances of life, that's the part that keeps getting bumped. You begin to say, look, God, deal with the rest of it. Leave that alone. You're going to be a vessel under dishonor. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your total body, a living sacrifice, totally, wholly acceptable unto God, which is the reasonable thing. I'm looking for those vessels that I can mold and remold until I get what I want out of it. Now, I want to tell you something. Now, I realize that there have been times when it seems like God has taken me off the wheel and he's put me back over here on that board and he's pounded me and twisted me and turned me and bent me and made me pliable again and says, now let's try that again. I know that some people that are Christians that probably feel that all they're doing is going from the wheel to the board to the wheel to the board to the wheel to the board and God's saying, well, one of these days when you finally realize that I'm sovereign, you'll say, God, this time we're not going to go around again. I don't care what it is. Not my will but yours be done. All the way, without question. I'm expendable. I'm sendable. I'm going to be bendable. Because I have no idea what you have in mind for me. There have been things that have come into my life down through the years, experience, I thought, what in the world am I going to do with this? This is ridiculous. I, I think I'm wasting my time. Then I have to back off and say, no, wait a minute. I really feel that I'm doing what God told me to do, and this came into my life. Oh, okay, Lord, just teach me whatever you want me to learn from it. Only to find out eight years or ten years or twelve years or twenty years later. Oh, now I see why you did that to me back there. You see? He knows what the finished product is. So we have to quit trying to determine what he's going to do with our lives. We just simply say, Lord, there needs to be different. You want a leg there? A leg there. You want an ear there? An ear. I don't care what you want to do. You can make me look like a monstrosity to begin with. 
just so long as the finished product is what you want it to be. Because whatever you want it to be will be the highest and most productive use. Some of you young people already have in your mind what you want to do in the days ahead. I want to ask you something. Have you really sought the Lord to lead you and to direct you to the place where you're not going to make that decision yourself until after prayer, much prayer and seeking God's faith and going to your spiritual authorities and asking them to pray with you, you come to a unanimous decision, this must be the will of God for you. Can you pray and say, Lord, I want you to close every other door and open just the right door. Lord, I'm asking you to bring me in contact with the exact people you want to have an influence on my life. I want you to bring me into understanding and knowledge that will cause me to say, oh, I didn't even know about that. That must be a direction the Lord's leading me in. And Lord, if you'll just show me that and bring these people to me and bring these contacts to me, I'll try my best to absorb what you're trying to show me day by day. Because I really want your will above everything else. Young people, if you'll do it down at your age now, you're going to find a happy future. Rather than get up there and say, oh goodness, now what am I going to do? I'm trying to run my own course now. Lord, will you try to find a track for me somewhere? Don't let the Lord build that track as young as you can. Some of the rest of you, way back there somewhere you say, well, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Have you ever sought God's face on that sincerely, earnestly in the Word, talking to those that are in spiritual authority above you? If, if those in spiritual authority above you walk by biblical principles, I have to be very careful in saying that. See, God never operates outside of biblical principles. I would never go down on Skid Row and ask someone how to succeed in life. I would never go to a humanist psychologist and ask him how I could get rid of temptation in my life. You get humanism out and reality back in. And so young people, when you begin to talk about your future, talk to men and women who are walking in the principles of God's Word. Get the principles down and say, Lord, I'm going to operate in your principles. Some of you that have been living for some years, the older we get, the harder it is to change. But the more important it is to be willing to change. And I want to say to you parents, be flexible concerning your occupation. Be flexible concerning your home relations, family relations. Be very flexible concerning your social relations. God may come along and tell you he wants you to change your social relationships. He may talk to you about your business relationships. He may talk to you about your recreational relationship. But really, it doesn't make any difference what relationship he talks to us about if the first relationship is Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of our life. Then he will touch this clay and the clay will immediately move. It won't stand back and say, well, yes, but God, you don't understand that through this relationship I have more prestige I have greater opportunity to reach out into this area for business purposes. God said, rubbish, don't compromise. Don't compromise. Just be pliable. I want to ask you to begin to ask the Lord to make you bendable and pliable. For example, many times we'll get into a certain position in the church and our theme song becomes, I shall not be moved. And I don't ever want that to happen to me. I don't ever want it to happen to you. God I just want to be able to be wherever you want me to be, do whatever you want me to do. Just give me all the experiences in the world. I just want every experience I can so you can put me anywhere and use me. I would hate for God to make me a napkin ring. You ever seen some of these little pottery and napkin rings? 
Uh, what is it, pottery? Yeah, yeah, pottery. What do you call it, ceramic? Ceramic pottery? Uh, napkinry? Can you imagine all your life just having a napkin stuck inside of you and lay in there? Not me, man. I want to be versatile. You know, they can use me any way they need to use me. So don't become just a napkin ring. Say, Lord, if you want me to be a napkin ring, I'll be a napkin ring. But God, I want to be versatile. I want to be a blessing everywhere I go and be able to do anything you want me to do. And I don't want to get locked into something. I don't want to get in a rut. Remember what Dr. Jim Johnson said is here? A rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. Be flexible. God might want you here now, over here now. And you know, we a lot of times say, mm, no, no, I don't like mm, Just beginning to feel comfortable here. Well, then move. It's where you begin to feel comfortable all over. I, I say to some fellows sometimes when they come here, how about uh, coming up on the platform and leading in prayer? Mm. I say, okay, simmer down. I'll tell you what we'll do. Sometime I'll call you on you on a Wednesday night and have you lead in prayer. Oh, get pray up, get prayed up about it. One of these nights I'll just call you, and you know for the next five or six weeks, maybe they'll just be sitting there. Oh boy, is it going to be? Oh boy, is going to be? You know, and finally you call on them, and they, they they'll pray, and afterwards they sit down like, you know that wasn't half as bad as I thought it was going to be. So a little while later I call on them on a Sunday night, and after four or five times like that, I'll walk back again and say, how about coming up and platform? I think I can do that, you know. You know, it's a lot better than saying, will you pray? No, no, no. Don't know how. How old are you? 38. When are you going to learn? I don't know. Never done it up to now. Yeah, you'll never learn any younger. Get pliable. Get flexible. Just try God. I don't mean like a pair of shoes. I mean believing to be able to do things that you've never done before. When God had me go to the first church in Englewood, Colorado, some of you don't know about this, but I could not read a note of music. There was a musician in the family. When I got out there, they asked me to become minister of music in a church of 2,300 members. Me lead a choir? Never tried it in my life. Me start an orchestra? They can read the notes. I can't even read the notes. Me start up small musical groups, quartets, sextets, and, and have three choirs and a men's chorus and ladies. Me? Okay, I don't understand what you're trying to do. And I'd lay in bed at night and my leg would go boom, boom, my arm would go like this in bed. Can you imagine? 800 people in the service, and you're up there, and you know you don't know the first thing about music, and I'd say, Beverly, play it again through for them, you know, so they can get the notes. And I go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Did that for two and a half years. Thank God for it. Later on, I got out into evangelism. I had to lead singing. I had to lead choirs in our own evangelistic meeting. Came here, and I've led choir. Hey, I couldn't do it. But I said, Lord, if you got me here and you've exposed me to it, I'll try anything two or three times. And if you don't, first you don't succeed, pray harder. You see, God says, I want you to be a flexible vessel. If you'll do it, I can use you. I can put you anywhere I want to use you, and I'll use you. 